May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. Today we are going to look at the role education has on the outcomes of patients who have fibromyalgia. We'll be walking through a study done in Spain in 2021, and this study helps really show that how education done comprehensively can significantly improve the functioning, reduce pain levels, and improve overall quality of life for those who have fibromyalgia. For those of you who are listening to the podcast for the first time, I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I've been a doctor for over 25 years. I am specialized in pediatrics and internal medicine, which is the care or non-operative management of adults. Also am a diplomat of the Board of American Lifestyle Medicine, as well as a diplomat of the Board of Clinical Lipidology. I am author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. My goal in both the book and in the podcast is to help go beyond just learning to live without any hopeful help for getting improvement and healing, but to going to the point where you can reduce the distress that you're living with and even reverse your fibromyalgia in some cases to those levels of people unaffected by fibromyalgia. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not replace an office visit with your medical doctor as each individual has their own special circumstances of coexisting medical conditions and circumstances in their own personal environment that offer unique challenges. Just to review, fibromyalgia is a chronic widespread pain problem that also includes fatigue and also brain fog that we've talked about in other podcasts. This falls under the umbrella of central sensitivity syndromes and other syndromes that are regional pain syndromes include things like migraines, tension headaches, chronic back pain or neck pain, or irritable bowel syndrome, for example. The name of this study is called The Effectiveness of a Structured Group Intervention Based on Pain Neuroscience Education for Patients with Fibromyalgia in Primary Care, a Multi-Centered, Randomized, Open-Label Trial. What they did in the study is they had 139 patients were included and they were randomized to either the intervention group, which involves seven group sessions of education in the neurobiology of pain, or to the control group, which was treatment as usual. The primary outcome that they looked at was looking at the functional status of pain as measured by the fibromyalgia impact questionnaire a tool that we've talked about on earlier podcasts 
One of them was entitled, How Bad Is My Fibromyalgia? And it's a useful tool that I use in clinical practice on a regular basis and also is used very often in research. They also looked at secondary outcomes where the reduction in the impact of pain and other symptoms such as catastrophizing, anxiety, and depression. And also looked at the number of patients reaching no worse than moderate functional impairment, which is a fibromyalgia impact questionnaire score less than 39. And then they looked at these over a period of one year at different intervals throughout the time. At one year, they found improvements in fibromyalgia impact questionnaire scores were higher in the intervention group with a moderate or high effect and decreases of greater than 20% in 69% of the patients versus 21% in the control group. Greater than 50% improvement occurred in 40% versus about 4.5% in the control group, and there was a 53% of the patients had a fibromyalgia impact score less than 39 versus about 13% in the control group. What the conclusions they made from the study were that improvement of quality of life and control of symptoms obtained by adding the pain neuroscience education intervention showed promising results equally or surpassing previously reported outcomes. And there are a couple other studies that were previously done as well showing similar outcomes. The intervention specifically involved the education by providing extensive explanation of the neurobiology and neurophysiology adapted for fibromyalgia patients. The purpose was to make the person aware that there are unconscious or automatic mechanisms involved in the learning processes, sensitization, and acquisition of beliefs about pain that can be changed through conscious behavior. Active participation of the patient is proposed in the process of the central nervous system desensitization with his or her attention fostered with the aim of weakening the neural connections that compromise the brain neuromatrix, as they call it, and establishing new connections thanks to neuroplasticity. Neuroplasticity is the idea that the brain can adapt. There's a lot of things that we understand through roles of addiction and how we connect other certain things, and it's very interesting. Likewise, improvement of proprioception was attempted with exercises of conscious movement. Work was based on the hypothesis of the importance of the information handled by the central nervous system in the threat assessed process as a determining factor in the appearance and maintenance of the disorder. This threat assessment is favored by unconscious pain reception learning throughout life, such as the alarmist culture, the presence of pain models in the surroundings, and the information given by expert professionals as sensitization factors. The patients were divided into five subgroups of 14 patients each. The intervention consisted of six two-hour weekly classes taught by a multidisciplinary team of two or three experienced therapists trained in teaching educational interventions to patients with fibromyalgia, followed by a seventh reinforcement class a month later. Therapists who delivered the intervention taught the content of each class with the aid of audiovisual material and interspersed in the neurobiology topic were short 
exercises of conscious movement after each class supporting material was sent to patients by email. The study included a baseline visit and then after treatment at one month, follow-up visit six, and then 12 months. At the baseline visit, clinical history of pain was made, demographics and clinical data were recorded, and the study questionnaires were completed. At follow-up visits, clinical data was recorded and study questionnaires also were completed. And the visits lasted about 45 minutes, except for the baseline visit in patients in the intervention group in which personal and family history of pain was specifically recorded and lasted in about an hour and a half. The characteristics of those in the study included majority were women, with 97% in the intervention versus 91% in the control group. The average age was 52 years. 70% were married. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. The average age of diagnosis was 21%, were diagnosed between 15 and 24, 23% were between 25 and 34, 29% were between 35 and and 44 years of age. 10% were diagnosed between age 45 and 54, and 3% between age 55 and 64. 94% in the intervention group and 93% in the control group were on pharmacological treatment with typical types of medications that are commonly used for fibromyalgia. Looking at the primary outcome, The baseline fibromyalgia impact score was at 60, and at one month of treatment, the intervention group averaged 36.5, at six months, 38, and at 12 months, 37. When you looked at the control group, the average didn't change at one month. It dropped slightly to 57 at six months, and no change at 12 months. When there were Specific items looked at on the fibromyalgia impact questionnaire to grab a few of them. The days that felt good was 8.3, and it dropped to 4.5 versus no change in the control group. Pain-influencing work went from a 6 to 3.3. Fatigue went from 8.2 to 5.1. Anxiety dropped from 7 to 4.7. Other secondary outcomes looked at the brief pain inventory, short form score, and that severity was a 5.8, and it dropped to a 3.5 versus no change in the control group. Level of anxiety measured by the HDA anxiety scale, and that went from a 13 And then with the education, it dropped to an 8.4 versus no significant change in the control group. Level of depression dropped significantly from 9.5 to 1.3, although that 
did drop significantly from 9.2 to 2.4 in the control group. When they looked at the health assessment questionnaire, just a general sense of overall health, that went from 1.4 to 0.6, which is where you a better number, versus 1.3 to 1.1, so no significant change in the control group. When they looked at the pain catastrophizing scale, that score went from a 27 and it dropped to an 11 versus a score of 24 and actually going up slightly to 25 and a half in the control group. The PSD, which stands for the Polysymptomatic Distress Scale, looking at just overall multiple symptoms and distress, that score went from a 26 and dropped to a 13 and a half in the intervention education group versus only a slight drop from 25 to 21 in the control group. The widespread pain index, which is a measure of different the number of areas in the body where you report pain, with 19 being the highest score at baseline. Both of them were 17, which is pretty much everywhere, very high level. And with the education, it was dropped to 8.3. With the control group, it went from 17 to 13, so a slight change. And the symptom severity score, that is taking other factors like sleep, fatigue, depression, abdominal pain, um, and headache. For example, that score went from 8.3 out of a possible 12 at the baseline for both of them. And with the intervention group, it dropped to a 5 versus an 8. So essentially no change in the control group. Walking through the discussion from the study, this randomized controlled trial showed that a structured group intervention based on pain neuroscience education was effective in reducing the impact of fibromyalgia on pain, anxiety, and catastrophizing thoughts as compared with treatment as usual group. Significant improvements were already seen after one month of treatment and were sustained over the six-month and 12-month follow-up in periods. The effect sizes for the differences between the intervention and control groups were large to medium for almost all of the components of the study questionnaire, particularly pain, fatigue, and morning stiffness of the fibromyalgia impact score, the pain severity and interference of the BPI score, as well as anxiety of the HAD and catastrophizing of the PCS score. These findings are clinically relevant and confirm data of before and after study carried out in 85 patients with fibromyalgia repeatedly previously reported by their group. In a randomized controlled trial, a similar outcome care-based group education intervention adapted to migraine compared to the routine medical care was effective in preventing migraine attacks and cost-effective in reducing the need for pharmacological treatment. And looking at the analysis of pharmacological treatment options in fibromyalgia, one medication, for example, pregabalin, uh, brand name, for that is Lyrica, was associated with a reduction in the fibromyalgia impact questionnaire total score by greater than 30% in 32% of the patient of the cases, whereas this study showed a reduction of greater than 50% in 40% of the patients. 
On the other hand, an in-depth review of pharmacological therapies in fibromyalgia syndrome showed that the majority of drug medications have a modest to mild impact with substantial benefit only in a minority of patients. Also, most patients will discontinue therapy, well, many, uh, because of either a lack of efficacy or tolerability problems. The promising results of this study are consistent with recommendations that the initial management of fibromyalgia should involve patient education as proposed in the European League Against Rheumatism Revised Guidelines for Managing Fibromyalgia in 2017. Researchers discussed prior studies. One was where they looked at written education, looking at neuroscience education versus written relaxation exercises, and they showed that there was not a significant difference in outcomes. What this implies is that face-to-face discussions of pain neuroscience education are required to change inappropriate cognitions and perceived health in patients with fibromyalgia. In a single blind randomized trial of 77 patients with fibromyalgia, pain neuroscience education leads to improvement in pain intensity, and this improvement was correlated with the duration of the pain neuroscience education received, six weekly 45-minute group sessions. However, the intervention group in this study, there was a higher dose of education, which may account for the significant improvement in results compared to prior studies. I first, again, want to thank all the researchers and patients and educators that were involved in this study. I think that is a great program that they have going at this regional center in Spain that really is helping patients live a higher quality of life. One of the reasons why I do the podcast, one of the reasons why I wrote the book is that so much education is needed. Most doctors have at most 45 minutes, maybe up to 60 minutes for complicated patients. And that is in addition to having to treat often other coexisting medical problems such as diabetes or high blood pressure or getting health maintenance problems taken care of or dermatologic problems that may not even be directly related to fibromyalgia or other central pain, regional pain syndromes. So getting more education, getting more understanding is so important. I am doing research for an upcoming podcast series that I'm really excited about. It's about a famous author who lived over a hundred years ago. And reading through her biography, she struggled her whole adult life with fibromyalgia. But the word fibromyalgia didn't even exist. She went through many tortured surgeries, was a tortured soul, And the last words that she was heard to have said with her last breaths were, I hurt all over and was just in excruciating pain. My heart goes out to her. She didn't have education. I'm so looking forward to sharing her story because it's very clear that she met the criteria for fibromyalgia. 
She also met the criteria for ADHD, and both of those had an impact. One story that I was just reading today was how she was at home, and she had fallen and hit her chest, had developed a lot of chest pain. And as a young woman in her 20s, and this was in the 1920s, she had the catastrophic fear that she had breast cancer that lasted for two years. And if she could have just had the proper education of what fibromyalgia is with the pain amplification, she could have likely had at least a mild, if not moderate, reduction by just reassurance that she didn't have breast cancer. But the anxiety of having breast cancer highly likely intensified her symptoms. I want to finish here today with listener feedback. This is from Mahalia, who lives in the Netherlands. So thank you for all who are listening around the world in Europe. I'm glad to be helping you learn more about fibromyalgia She writes in response to the rejection-sensitive dysphoria. She said, OMG, my first reaction was, this is so not me, but it lingered in my brain. Thankfully, I kept the link to come back to. I not only listened to all the podcasts, but searched on to educate myself on ADHD and rejection-sensitive dysphoria. I am 52 and never was diagnosed with ADD, but recently with fibro. As I researched, it all came together. I have had so many struggles growing up, but was unnoticed to my caregivers and even more to me. I can now see how I adapted coping strategies to try to succeed. And also the fact that in my upbringing, there was no space for making mistakes or being myself. This tremendous pressure has been what kept me on course, but also damaged me. The connection I see in me is how I have been in constant fight, fright, and freeze as an automatic reaction to fighting my ADD, which explains why my muscles are always in fighting mode. I am definitely emotionally very sensitive, but at first could not place rejection-sensitive dysphoria into my history. When I started to look at my past through emotions, I started to recognize this. These overwhelming feelings would trigger rage in me. Of course, I could not let this out. Within the time frame of reading this, I have not only self-diagnosed myself with ADD, but have also seen this pattern in both my children. My psychiatrist in this time frame had questioned me if I had ADHD, and of course I said no. Today, I have accepted to be tested for this. I have also been struggling with my kids and have social help uh, workers working with me. Because we do not express the H, the hyperness in ADHD, the way it may have classically been expected, ADD is not easily recognized. I want to thank you, Dr. Michael Lenz, for I might finally be on a healing journey as well as my 9 and 10-year-old's also suffering with chronic pain. We were able to talk yesterday through Messenger and it was very great conversation. And one 
metaphor, and I love learning new metaphors and analogies. She said, Dr. Lenz, you know, it's what those horses have on, you know, those things that you can't see. And I said, you know, those blinders? Yeah, those blinders. And before I felt like I was a horse and I had blinders on and I could only see or understand one aspect of this. And now through listening and learning more about fibromyalgia and related issues like ADD and rejection sensitive dysphoria, which is that emotional aspect of ADD, she's able to understand how these pieces that seemed in the past probably unrelated or maybe have been thought of as a character flaw all play a role with her fibromyalgia. If you have any feedback, please email me at drmichaellenz at gmail.com. If you have any questions or topics you'd like discussed on future podcasts, please let me know. Until next week, go Team Fibro. Fibro.